Chapter 2 BTS Part 2 Selling and Trading Alright, so not as much fluff to start this episode because this is part two of BTS and I am literally pressing record after a brief break after finishing and publishing the last episode, episode two, chapter one. Um, wanted chapter two to be something else, but chapter one was a really long story, uh, was a really long chapter. But I call this BTS part two. Um, people really do say buy, sell, trade. It's like, hey, I'm buying, I'm selling, I'm trading. But BST doesn't have the right same ring to it. So again, BTS, selling and trading. Uh, I'm going to start with selling though, okay? So, because trading is kind of like the the lesser done one, I guess, transactionally. When it comes to just starting out in this hobby, whether it's buying, selling, trading, or anything, and actually anything in life, just know that you can try to absorb and consume all the advice, all the information and knowledge that's out there, but you are going to make mistakes, we all do it and we will do it and it's not just beginners but every stage of the hobby and your hobby journey your process in life so i start this episode with saying uh you know my words of encouragement are to be kind to yourself and not beat yourself up for a mistake or a perceived mistake if for example you know hearkening back to buying let's say you overpay for a card based on comps you know, I would like to hope that you would eventually, after this thing wears off, that you consider it tuition in the hobby and that you learned from it, that you learned something from it. Hopefully it doesn't happen again or, I mean, it likely will. But that, you know, when you do want a card and it's rare, it's okay to pay over comps. And comps, uh, I didn't really tease, you know, the, the two schools of thought, but I am of the school of thought that comps are just the beginning and they're not the end-all be-all. Uh, but for some people it is, and I get it. But for me, so long as it's not private school tuition, and instead it's public school or community college tuition, it's okay to make mistakes along the way. So be, you know, so be kind to yourself uh, on this subject of kindness. The other words of unsolicited advice, and I guess this intro is going to go long, is I would have is if you're new to the hobby, and again works in life in general, maybe is that. A little kindness does go a long way. And so just think about what a lot of kindness does for you and others. And of course, all of this is easier said than done. And again, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because I have definitely been my own biggest critic, not just within the hobby, but in life. Uh, but, but I mean, I like to think I worked on that and worked on myself, but I do feel like I'm in a better headspace to be in the hobby now in my 40s which is uh, its own can of worms that I've come to grips with. But, you know, even my 30s uh, or my 20s, like, you know, in this current social media age, it could be a totally different situation because I don't know if I would be in a good headspace. So anyway, be kind to yourself and just understand that you will make mistakes along the way. And, you know, the, the hope is that the mistakes lessen and you learn more and that in learning more about the hobby and different aspects of it that you enjoy it. So it's interesting that I start with buy, sell, trade because it is all, you know, it's about money. It's about transactions. I can't wait to get to the other episodes, really. This is just like the beginning because that's how you start into the hobby. You start buying and then you accumulate or hoard, whatever you want to call it. And then, you you know, maybe you start selling. So this is more advanced. We're getting right into this uh, aspect of the hobby where you are selling what you have. And so for the newer folks, you may not be ready to sell. And for folks who have been around for a while, you're like, you know, maybe this guy can, I can learn something or maybe I won't. Again, it's free. So you can get, you can ask for a refund later. Uh, you know, you know how to hit me up with my Instagram and my uh, emails. So selling. A lot of people want to sell, but they're not sure what it entails and if they want to or if they will put the work in. So I'm here to share my experiences, again, kind of being your canary in the coal mine. And maybe what I say inspires you to try these different ways of selling, but for others, it may just sound exhausting and you don't want to do it. And that's fine, you know. And by the way, with these really large subjects, I can miss so many things. But th so, so this is kind of almost like a primer of sorts and just my own experiences and your mileage will vary may vary will vary and uh maybe this is just one podcast of many that you listen to to help you along that aspect of the journey about the selling so 
there are different ways to sell and what I think uh, my opinion is on what it takes to be successful at some of these, um, which also means just don't do what I did because some of it was unsuccessful. But for selling in real life, there's there's a certain, you know, I think that you do have to be a people person. For eBay selling, you don't have to be a people person, but you got to be good with listing, uh, using the seller interface, being consistent, taking great pictures, giving strong descriptions, and wanting to learn a work process. And you also have to, you know, be really good at packing and shipping. For, you know, real life selling, like at a show, you don't have to be good at packing and shipping. You just transact right there uh streaming i think it's a hybrid of both you don't have to be a people person but i think having a person personality or having a brand or a theme helps a lot and then you do have to do a lot of packing and shipping if you're especially if you're really successful you'll just have so many cards to be shipping out uh but you know for streaming uh you don't need to have good picture taking skills or listening skills because you are literally just showing your uh, wares, your your cards on camera and seeing if people want them. So let's go diving into selling in person at a card show. Okay, uh, new section. You know what's so funny is I tell myself I'm not doing a long intro and then I spend six minutes on an intro. It's, it's just wild. Okay, for dealing in person, you really can only start doing this if you have inventory and not just of your own PC, but of popular cards and possibly cards that are currently outside of your budget. So again, this is for the people who have been in here for a while. So um, because if you're a newer entrant, unless you're in super accelerated growth mode, which I, I would say that I was in, where I just felt like I was dealing almost like right away because I just spent too much and I was like, I need to cull this down. Um, you know, you might want to skip this part or, you know, maybe just take a listen and follow along. But, you know, I may dive into some more you know, uh, jargon or acronyms or whatever, just to kind of, you know, explain things. But uh, to sell at a card show, you know, it's same as looking to buy at a card show. Uh, you get the promoter's information, you call them, you express interest. And if it's a really popular show or, you know, demand is high for tables, you get on a waiting list. Um, don't expect to pay up front. Uh, I will share that pay in cash near the end of the show or at least that's how it's done in my dc metro area certainly there are different setups and collection styles that may exist throughout the u.s because i am talking about being a i guess dealer in the u.s um but you know i think maybe i'll post that up and you know on instagram and see how it is done in other places because i would love to know you know because i right now have a very almost like regional perspective in the you know mid-atlantic which by the way i think there's a show in the mid-atlantic coming soon too so for my dc area um again just this area i don't know about others but expect to pay between 50 to 75 dollars for an eight foot by three foot table uh there are some dealers who do or some shows that do like six foot by three foot tables i think that's a little bit too small you almost have to buy two tables for that amount uh, so fifty to seventy-five dollars for a local show, three hundred to five hundred dollars for a regional show. The closest one to my area is the Chantilly show, and that's for multi-days. For local shows, it's like one day, maybe two. And then national, I don't even know how much the tables are. All I know is that for folks who set up at national, you need to have so much inventory to make up your table fee. Um, I think a lot of people are grandfathered in from what I know, uh, people are, you know, I think maybe I talked about that on the record with my guest, uh, who's going to be an expert on buying, trading and selling. Uh, I'm just so excited about that episode, by the way. But, um, I forget if we talked on can on record or off record about how much national tables are. So, um, but it, no one listening, unless you are like super, <laughs> unless you're one of these big boys, uh, it doesn't matter. Okay, I'll just say that. But, you know, for some of these dealers that I've seen set up, um, I'm not trying to throw shade, but, you know, I'm just going to say, it. I just got to say it. For some dealers, it's almost like they've set up a pop-up card museum. It's like, you know, they're dinosaurs. They, they pay money to a show promoter to set up at a table or two and... They don't move anything, you know, the prices are either, you know, uh, like old peak prices or they're, you know, they're not, uh, they're Beckett, uh, book value prices or, you know, they're just really high. And, you know, what's even more bewildering to me and, and, you know, people can price their cards for whatever they want. I mean, believe me, that's, you're not entitled to these cards when you, when you buy them or sell them. Um, 
but it's almost like some of these dealers they don't even look like they want to be there and it's and some of them it's not even like they're on their phones that you know some of them are some of the younger ones are but the older dinosaurs you know i've actually even seen one just asleep at their table which is just wild to me like what are you what are you doing here uh so to each their own it's like pricing cards price it however you want you deal as a dealer you can deal however you want but i mean i don't know it's just like these folks are there to just hang out, I guess. You know, there's that meme, you know, like, huh, what are you doing here? Just hanging around. That's, you know, maybe that's what they want and they're okay with that. But going back to being a dealer, um, you know, what you see on YouTube, that's not the reality or, or at least that's not everyone's reality. For some of us, the reality is dollar bins and low-end collections or low-end flips and investments. The reality is trying to trade five slabs all you know under a hundred dollars each maybe even adding some cash to get a grail rookie card auto so i you know i don't plan to get specific with this example but because at least in this podcast my intent is not to mention a single dollar price or a single card but you know what we'll see if i'm successful with that because i do love the details <laughs> i do love getting into diving into uh card prices or things like that but at least that's my plan right and this is still early on in the podcast so my main point is here you know i don't want to influence i don't you know i don't want to like say oh you know because i mentioned this card to the 11 people listening to this like oh buy this card because i talk about it but um when it comes to selling uh some people you know, talk about short-term selling being flipping and flip culture. It's existed before cards. I mean, you know, we're, whether you like it or not, it's here to stay. Uh, we just live in a world right now where it's even more prominent. It's all in the zeitgeist. It's it's everywhere. You know, people are flipping uh, other things and other hobbies. Um, it's even like dating, the dating app culture we live in. Swipe left, swipe right, on to the next one. You know, I mean, and by the way, that's from what I hear. Okay, I'm I'm happily married. Don't get me wrong. Um, see, now I'm wondering if I have to edit that out. Uh, all right, let's let's say let's say I don't. Um, everything is so fast paced now, and it's enabled by technology, right? Information is power, and you know we have these uh, powerful computers in our in our pockets and and all that. Um, but the inherent human element is that there's a constant chase for the new bright, shiny object. And that's been around forever since the beginning of civilization. And it's just that technology is enabling us to do that to an even greater ability and a larger degree. And wow, I just realized as I read all that, I think I meant this for another chapter or another episode. I, I think I just put this in here. I am just trying to rush through my podcasts. Um I'm not editing this. It's fine. It's a good point. It's a really good point. I just don't know if it fits in here, but I'm keeping it in. All right. Continuing on. Selling on eBay. Um, there are fees. There are, um, you know, there are streaming platform fees too if you wanted to sell and whatnot, which I'm going to get into. Uh, but if you enjoy it, it's worth it. You know, find out what you enjoy doing. Try it out. Um, setting up an eBay account and starting selling, it sucks to start from zero. Uh, it starts to, it's, it, it's it's demoralizing when you i mean it's great because um there's actually uh there's no barrier to entry to sell on ebay right i mean you started zero you sign, sign up with your account and all that um for a streaming platform you do have to like apply and you do have to get approved um so that i think when people get the approval uh notification from say whatnot or drip or card shop live like they're happy because they're like oh yeah i got approved because it's a higher barrier to entry you have to like submit your application submit pictures with the application and you're just kind of like waiting and you're just like you know you're, it's almost like when you have to wait for something or you have to actually achieve something like it means more so um there are people who really like to uh uh you know sell whether it's online or in person and um i just realized i totally lost my notes i need to pause here All right, so I realized something. Uh, because I am making BTS into two separate chapters, I'm switching things around. It's almost like this audiobook is becoming like a living document. But I wanted to cover selling online, like uh, selling on whatnot, for instance, which is my experience. I wanted to make that a separate chapter down the road, but I realized what I'll do is talk about my experiences selling uh, 
as an individual, and then later on maybe talking about breaking uh, as another form of you know the another aspect of the hobby. So I first started streaming on whatnot in November of 2022. This is literally just two months after re-entering the hobby. I just accumulated so much so quick. Um, I was obsessed with buying on whatnot, and you know I was watching these streamers, and I was like, you know what, I think I could do that, and you know. Um, I applied and I submitted, you know, the little tips that I can share here is, you know, I submitted great pictures, inventory, there are ways to make uh, it look bigger in picture, get your man out of the gutter, this is a family friendly thing here that we're trying to do, okay, but it's like, um, you know, at a certain point with whatnot, it's it was almost like driving an Uber, uh, like I talked about the low barrier entry with setting up an eBay account, with uh, whatnot, from what I heard, it's like anyone could drive an uber anyone could apply and get in um i think at times it can be selective i think for some people the application process took longer but it's like great so you got set up it's almost like great you got a podcast set up what do you do right like how do you differentiate yourself so my tip to folks who want to do selling and whatnot and i'm gonna talk about streaming another time is what is your brand right like what are you doing to differentiate yourself what are you the home of? Like with Burger King, it's like the home of the Whopper. You know, are you providing good deals? Are you providing good value? Are you providing great entertainment? Because for some of the things you're going to sell, I, you hear this a lot from small streamers um, who are selling singles. There's like very slim margin. You're, you're not even making money. You're like losing money. And you have to be okay with that almost in order to f get a, an audience and a following. You have to do these giveaways. You have to, you know, uh, maybe take some losses in order to gain an audience. And that's what people don't talk about a lot. It's like everyone wants to be working off great margins to, to, to begin with. And, uh, you know, everyone wants like an immediately full chat room. And when you're buying on whatnot, it may seem so easy, but it it took so many, for, for some of these streamers, if you're not part of a large streaming company or whatever, it's you are really starting from zero and it takes time to build an audience and it takes time to the to develop trust with your chat room it looks so easy when you're just watching but that's the whole reason for this podcast that i want to make it because you know with a stream you know what people don't realize when you're just a consumer and you're not a producer or a creator is there's pre-stream work there's during stream work there's post stream work and you know i didn't realize that when i first started i was like oh just turn the camera on and you just start talking and people want to buy all your stuff but that's not how it goes it really isn't so again um when i applied i had some inventory definitely not a lot um when i dealt as a dealer i didn't have a lot of inventory but it made it i made it work um i had fun i had fun setting up as a dealer um i still have fun setting up uh ebay listings again different um it takes different parts of your brain and different skills to, to, to do those. And I don't say I do them well, like I've said before. I want to be the jack of all trades, the master of none. That's kind of my brand or how I want to be known. Um, we'll see if it takes. I don't know. Um, but when it comes to applying uh, for whatnot, took great pictures. And I provided a, a thorough explanation of what I wanted to sell and why. And I think, and again, I could be wrong, but I think that because the application process, it's not like being read by a robot. At the end of that application, someone is reading it and that person is a human. I don't know, I'm guessing. But I think humanizing my application and providing a clear goal as to what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it was what got me approved so quickly. Uh, but again, at certain points, whatnot was approving everyone left and right. Again, like, like you're applying to be a driver for uber lyft um but i remember and i'm not going to get into all the things that i was breaking at that time um there's differences when you're breaking by yourself as an individual and breaking you're not part of a breaking team um but i remember early on it's it's wild because i used to be so against the idea of repacks and i'm kind of going back and forth with repacks and mystery packs but in hindsight, I guess I didn't realize this, but my first ever stream on whatnot was what I guess I can now call a repack show, a mystery pack show, because it was such an out there concept. I mean, no one has ever done it since uh, and no one ever will. And probably for good reason. It was crazy. OK, so let me explain it. So for people who have bought on whatnot, you you will have seen these type of games of chances or 
games of perceived skill, which is like the deal or no deal, the mystery wheel, guess the number, poker, blackjack. And you like for those of you who have never been on a one off stream, just consider yourself lucky and don't worry about it. Just don't don't get into these um, streams or I'm not saying don't, but it's yeah. Um, but what I wanted instead of a game of luck was a game of skill. So I'm not going to get into super hard, uh, detail, super long details about this, but I created this thing called whatnot jeopardy. And I had, I bought for 20 bucks. I bought a lifetime su subscription to some jeopardy creating website. I put up these, you know, answers, last questions up and people could bid on each box of the question. And, you know, I would have a pack a repack of something related to that question like if it was a you know jordan question if it was for a hundred dollars you know it'd be like i would say oh it's perceived value 10 bucks so i would want someone to get up to 10 bucks most of the time it was like going up to five bucks and again the whole concept of you have to lose money but you know for the 500 dollars uh it would be like 50 dollars perceived value or you know comp value and we never finished the game and i think some people really wanted me to but i found it uh, you know, like I wasn't trying to do anything shady. It, I still actually have those repacks and I still have that game saved, but it got to be so unwieldy and stressful and difficult. And I am a person who likes to do things for fun. It wasn't fun for me anymore. It was really hard, but again, I'm not going to get into super long details about it because no one should try to run that type of game, especially when you're expecting people to chat. Um, we just know that when you're in a chat, you kind of just saw a lot of people just want to be passive. You know, people don't say hi and bye when they leave streams. It's like, that's nice to do. If you're invited to someone's house, you, you would want to say hello and goodbye. But, you know, streams, it's just so much anonymity. And it's just like people just come and go as they please, which is fine. It's the Internet. So um, I just wanted to share that because, yeah, I definitely uh, learned from that and uh, selling you know, singles online, you just, you do tend to lose uh, money uh, when you first start off. So it can be demoralizing. Um, and the other thing I realize is with doing like my, my stream uh, early on selling on whatnot, um, it, it definitely took time for people to understand what's going on, because it's almost like a pattern, pattern interrupt. Like, if, if my stream was like any other stream, with like loud blaring music and me yelling at the the stream uh it's almost like it's it can sound really irritating but it's also like it, it's expected because that's how a lot of people do it but if you do try to do things differently like i did what i realized is i can't expect or reasonably expect that people will immediately get my idea buy into it right away and just love it you know and and that, I think I have to just say it straight up. Some people, I think they may like being yelled at. I think they just like to have just a loud, you know, ns, 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 or expli expletive laden music and just have like a rave atmosphere. Maybe that's what makes them feel young or nostalgic. I don't know. But I know that if uh, with doing some things different, I, I have to understand that it's going to take some more time for people to adjust. Um, but uh, yeah, I just... That's me being the canary in the coal mine uh, and me just trying to help folks who maybe who do want to sell on whatnot. Because I've had people in my Instagram, uh, Denny underscore cards, plugging that in again because uh, you don't even know about my Instagram yet. Um, is that I, I've talked, I've tried to help people with their applications and you know, some people reach back and appreciate it and let me know. But then, of course, it's the Internet. So some people never reach back and tell you whether it worked or didn't. But you know, I just wanted to share it out in podcast form because I think some people are like, I want to sell, I want to sell. And it's like, well, okay, well, great. You've applied. I've helped you apply or maybe you did it yourself and you've gotten proved. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to be okay with an hour long, two hours long with no one in the room and just it's going to feel like you made such a terrible life choice or terrible hobby choice? <laughs> like, are you going to be okay with that? Because it's going to take time for you to build that audience. It's not a lot of people just knock it out of the park right off the bat. Some people do because they have a huge social media following or, you know, following from another platform and then they just convert it over. Um, so I, I got to say, like, it, it can be really tough starting from zero. Um, and you just have to understand that 
these really successful streams, it took them months or, I mean, years is relative, I guess, because it's, it's hard to say years when the peak was just like a year or two ago. But, um, but anyway, um, let me pause. All right. I had this analogy, right? So when you watch someone on TV, and I'm going to use baseball. It's it's my least um, knowledge, the, the sport that I'm least knowledgeable in, but it, I think it's the best analogy out of all the sports. But you see someone on baseball, they're, you know, they're playing for a major league team, and they got called up. You see them on TV, they're fantastic. But what you don't see is all those grueling hours and at-bats in the minors, you know, A, AA, AAA, just grinding it out, bat after bat, traveling from small city to small city and dingy coach buses, just dreaming about making it to the majors. You don't see that. But that's what happens. Like sometimes you have to take your lumps. Sometimes it takes time to get to where you are today. And it's not the most perfect analogy. I mean, but that's what I wrote in my notes. Okay. So um, just to help a little bit more with the streaming, uh, selling as a streamer on uh, whatnot. And again, I'm not going to talk about breaks right now. But I think the most important thing to know as a streamer is you do have full control of what you show on your stream or screen. Okay. So... You may be asked, do you have these cards or that cards? And you may or you may not. It depends on your inventory. And so that's why it's good to have as much inventory as possible um, of popular players and different price points and all that. Um, but you do have full control of what you show on your stream or screen. So the chat or the people in the room may really be trying to convince you to run that, you know, that card in the back that you just have there for like eye candy. Um just know that you don't have to. I mean, it may bug people or it may people may leave the room, but definitely have your price points and your lowest numbers in mind. And uh, you may want to cater towards the room. And maybe, again, you, you will and you'll take your lumps and you'll become really popular, but you may also become really broke or even more broke. <laughs> so, um, so just have you control the stream music the ambiance the lighting the atmosphere so um same thing with dealing i'm sorry i didn't really talk so much about dealing at a card show i i feel like my notes i had for this went somewhere but i wanted to talk about you know how to set up at a show the showcase the renting actually you know what i don't have to do that too much because my guest is going to i think we talk about that a lot so for people who want more information or tips on dealing at a card show, I'm really excited to to release the the guest interview, and I keep alluding to it. I'm sorry, um, but as a streamer, I say this a lot. Uh, back when I did it, it's not like I have like many months and experiences, but um, I said this on my first stream, and I continue to say it in my current streams. Uh, not that I do it so much, but. I say, and and this is a line, by the way, from Jay-Z. Uh, I forget which song. But it's, you could be anywhere else in the world, but you're here with me. And it's just so true. Even this podcast right now. Sure, you're listening to it, and it's consumed, and it's on to the next podcast, or the next thing in your life. You're done driving. You're done mowing, you know, with shoes on, okay? Uh, but this very moment, you're listening to my podcast, which is still really weird for me to say. But you chose to press play on this episode out of all the other ep episodes and podcasts out there. You know, while you're driving, washing dishes, doing laundry, on a run, while at work, whatever it is. But I just have to say, let me just take a moment here to pause to say thank you. This is, I think, episode three. Um, I have to say thank you so very much for making that decision. And... It's like streaming. Again, low barrier to entry, but then once you start, what do you do? What do you, what's your brand? What are you known for? Um, and I, I think it's so awesome to get to stream. And uh, gosh, I had this whole thing about streaming, and I'm like, is this anything about breaking? Uh, oh, yeah. All right. I'll just say it. Um, my streaming persona is so different from my podcast persona because... And it's also different from my social media persona. And it's okay. I'm human. I'm not what I'm not just one note. Neither are you. We're all well-rounded individuals, which is something I think I talk about in my uh, guest spot or guest interview. Um, maybe not interview. Conversation? I don't know. 
um, with my next episode that you will hear because I already recorded it. But, you know, we can be multiple things to multiple to do to different people. Oh, my gosh. Let me start again. We can be multiple things to different people with, you know, the main person who we are that, you know, what we tether to what we are in the inner core, you know, that's who we are to the ones closest to us, our family and our closest friends. But the reason I bring that up is my persona as a streamer or podcaster, which I'm still getting used to and it's new to me, but it's all different from like my social media persona, which it can be very different depending on the day and depending on the post and depending on what happens. But I guess why I say all that is in my streams as a seller on whatnot or what, you know, what, whatever it is, I can go crazy. I can start yelling I can, and, and not, not yelling in a bad way, but just raising my voice and getting really energetic, uh, energetic and have a lot of adrenaline rushing through me. Um, but that's not me at home with my kids. Well, I mean, maybe sometimes it can be, but it's like the version of me at a, like a sports bar. Right. And that's why I love doing all these different things. Uh, cause I get to wear these different hats and I get to be a different, I get to itch a different part of myself for a little bit. You know, I look at to let my hair down because, uh, and this, I think will resonate for some of us older ones. Uh, again, my currently I'm still at 11 plays and currently, uh, my age demographic is like between 28 to 43, whatever the numbers were. But some of us, we know that as we get older, we get just, we just get set in our ways and we become more sterile, we become more corporate, more serious. We're less fun. You know, we, we just become more generic versions of what we used to be, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe that resonates with you. Maybe it doesn't. But it's like corporate America just beats us down and is like, oh, you got to be serious now. But... Um, I don't know. I, as a side note, I, when I was in better shape in my life, <laughs> um, I used to do Spartan races and you're crawling in the mud, climbing, netting, throwing spears. And it's like being a kid again. And that's full circle, I guess, as to why I feel like I collect cards again, maybe I'm using nostalgia or childhood as a crutch or as a justification, but I do feel like I get that joyful feeling of being a kid again. And I started all that because I was talking about my different personas. It's, I mean, maybe I have multiple personalities. I don't know. I don't think I've been diagnosed like that. And I don't want to make light of mental health issues. But I do feel like doing different things in a hobby does allow me to have different personas. So selling on whatnot, um, you just have to be, I think, not a, you don't have to be. I think some introverts can do really well on whatnot because you are not talking to someone in real life and it can almost feel like you're talking to yourself or one other person. It's almost like a monologue. It's almost like podcasts. There's some podcasters. I've gotten to know some of you um, through, you know, DMs on Instagram. Some of you are really shy and really introverted. Heck, I'm an only child. I mean, I talked about being a child of immigrants. I actually am naturally introverted. And that's what probably makes me, you know, like wanted to start doing a podcast because I'm not in a party setting and talking to multiple multiple people. I'm I think I like doing this and I'm doing like two episodes in a row right now because I feel like I'm talking to one person. I mean, maybe it's just myself, but I don't think that I'm talking to many, many people. By the way, it's only 11 people right now anyway, so um so anyway, that's uh my section or you know, part on selling, uh, as a streamer and whatnot, I'll try to do something differently about being a breaker. Cause that's a whole nother, uh, subject uh, that, that can be its own episode or, uh, let me pause here. And then I'm going to get to talking about the T and BTS trading. <laughs> All right, so my section on trading is really short. Uh, it is almost like the the afterthought of buy, buying, trading, and selling the BTS. The main thing I guess I wanted to talk about is trade night. And I do cover this with my first guest. The first one I ever went to, again, please allow me to be your canary in the coal mine. I was not prepared. And I really haven't seen a lot of creators talk about what I'm about to say. And I don't know why, I mean, and maybe some have, and I just haven't consumed it, but I do feel like I consume a lot of content, but I feel like as a creator, you just kind of have to consume less and because you just have to be creating. 
So I will say, and I love, there's so many good podcasts out there and so much good content, some bad content, but I'm going to get into that. I do appreciate so many content producers though, because again, it's like you're putting yourself out there like I am right now. So let me say this trade night, in my opinion, is a misnomer, meaning yes, there is trading that can occur. But it really is an opportunity for non-dealers, like the dealers who set up at shows. Again, trade night is most commonly associated with like the evening part of a show. But it's where the public uh, people, you know, who didn't pay for table fees, that you know, it's it's a time for them to not just trade with each other, but buy and sell. So, you know, the 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 funny thing is, if you want to be in, prepared for trade night, bring money with you. Uh, and of course your phone to look up comps. Um, but I was not prepared. Uh, I did not have much money on me. I had some <laughs> pretty low end stuff. Uh, and I will very much admit that I felt embarrassed to show my stuff because in trade night, people bring fire and you do uh, here's a little tip uh because some of you i think even the people who've been here in the hobby for like a year or two you may have not been to your first trade night yet um i know some people i've talked to on instagram who have great collections and love transacting online they don't do a lot in person and they haven't been to their first show you know local show regional show haven't been to national haven't been to a trade night um so let me share with you if you want to be successful in your first trade night uh and you have like your zion case or you know not an official sponsor yet maybe but you want to be one of the first people through the door so you can claim a table again these are free tables it's a it's an open space where people can transact freely but it's first come first serve and but let me just also say that this definitely can vary depending on your geographical location and how the setup is maybe it would be good for you to talk to the show promoter or the show uh, you know, other people who have been at that show just to get a feel of how it's going to be. You know, always ask, always ask, uh, keep learning, you know. But what you do is, even if you're not one of the first people through the door, um, let's say you can get a table. Because there are some people who will set up and set up shop for like literally and figuratively for like three hours or however long the trade night is and just stay there and hunker down and camp out. Um, and then if, if there are no tables left, you're almost like it's like a card show you just walk around and you just try to figure out you know um like you, again it's like equal because you don't pay for a table so you don't get the privileges of being a dealer um or being disadvantaged as being not a dealer but you spread your cards out let's say you you do have a table uh, at trade night you spread all your cards out like a dealer i think there's some places that have rules against uh having like a you know uh a showcase or a display case but you spread them all out or maybe even just have them in your design case have people rifle through it almost like a really expensive dollar box a <laughs> dollar bin but you know you um you just spread them all out and then you just hopefully have your numbers uh in mind of what you what the what the sale value is and what the trade value is um those two can very much diff uh, vary um you know sell value can be lower than trade value but if you do that just keep in mind like don't i mean i was gonna say do whatever you want right i mean far from be it from me someone who's unqualified to have a podcast and tell you what to do but there are some people who um will totally highball their own cards and inflate how awesome they are and then lowball other cards i hate that i i'm sorry i don't like using the word hate hate almost like i don't like using the words i don't care it, it matters less to me and i dislike people who or, or not people, but like just the tactics that people do, right? It's like, okay, if you're using the same logic and rationale to inflate your own cards and say, you know, like this one is in this holder or it's this grade, but then you're going to neg other people's cards. Like, I don't know. It's like, we just want our cards to be liked. Even the cards that we want to sell, like we don't want to be like, you know, criticized for the cards we have. So anyway, that's that's another tangent and i won't get into that right now but um oh on a bright spot there's free pizza and soft drinks uh, <laughs> uh but i would say uh just be respectful of the free food and be respectful of the people around you you know depending how crowded and busy the trade night is you don't want to spill food i've seen it happen actually i've seen I've seen like pizza grease on dirty napkins and next to like 
thousand dollar slabs. It's just not cool. Uh, you know, bring what you want. Don't be caught with your pants down. Well, actually, I mean, if that's your thing, go ahead. Who am I to say that? Uh, but this is a family friendly podcast. Uh, but you may be asked. You may be asked to leave if you do that. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm not the person in charge of that trade night, so maybe they, they'll allow that. I don't know. So um, instead of pausing here, let me just dive right into this different section. So that's the end of my trading part, the BTS. is very short section, I think. I think that was only six minutes. Um, the section on investing, uh, and I wanted to cover this because it is like a... Investing is like the long-term version of selling, you know, flipping is short, investing is long, long-term, at least that's the way I think about it. But there is, there are these different schools of thoughts, are cards investments, and I just wanted to provide my opinion on it, or I don't think this is a hot take, um, but pin this and tell me if it is. Uh, engage with me on, on social media, it's, I, you know, the likes are fine and all, but I really like learning and getting to know from all of you, so... Uh, I mean, some of you are more knowledgeable than others. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like, not all of you are like super super smart in all of this, and neither am I. But I mean, some of you are really good at this. I gotta say, and I learn a lot. Um, let's not get into names. Um, so investing. So in my opinion, if there is a card with a huge pop count, again, that's population report. You know, hot huge number of cards in that. Uh, grade or holder slab again this is more for people who have been here for a while but it's just my opinion that if there is a card with a huge pop count and it's almost transacted on like a daily basis you know it's just my opinion that i think that card is more like an investment or stock or security or or alternative asset uh yes there is no dividend and it's yes it's not a stock but you know, does the price of that highly transacted card go up and down on a daily basis based on player performance or based on, you know, uh, just, just the, the economy? Yeah, I think so. So if that's the case, I think it is an alternative investment vehicle. Uh, again, and it's not just investing long term, you can flip. But I do think that there are certain cards that are almost like they're so liquid or they're so heavily transacted that it is like, you know, it's it's like an investment an investment vehicle or an alternative version of one. On the other hand, again, just my opinion, but if a card is very low pop count, uh, I it's just my opinion that I think it's more like an art piece or not so much of an investment piece because also low pop count, low uh, few transactions, uh, people can have it in their collection for a little bit, but then move it. You know, sometimes those cards can be moved discreetly and not. On eBay, where it, it is, uh, you know, a comp is there, and I get, I'm sorry I didn't mention this earlier when I was talking about comps, but you know, comps are only publicly traded, uh, almost I guess like uh, securities, but there are definitely private sales of cards, and those never show up on comps, right? Because they're just done privately in in real per in real life or you know over Facebook, Instagram, and all that, and that's a whole nother thing you could talk about, but maybe I won't for now, but. It's really easy, right? Uh, low pop count, few transactions, my opinion. It's like an art piece. Heavily transacted, highly liquid, um, huge pop count. It's an investment piece. But there's such a huge gray area in the middle. Not too high, not too low of pop counts or scarcity. Are those investments or not? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't have all the answers. Again, these are just my opinions and I'm just sharing different schools of thought but you know what's really interesting is that actually is what I love about the hobby. There's so much room for debate and there's a lot of uncertainty. It's almost like the criteria for MVP. You know, a lot of people are like, is it the best player on the best team? Is it the best stats? Does history count? You know, does it matter that you won two in a row and that you actually averaged a triple-double and you don't get it because people don't want to give you three in a row? Not that that's like a huge sticking point for me because it's not like I collect a player in the NBA like that. So let's, you know, but to me, that's what makes the MVP debate, the, the MVP debate so attractive and fun because there's so much room for debate. So this whole question of are cards investments or art pieces, no right answers, in my opinion, just have fun debating it. Um, the problem, though, on the flip side is with any debate, sometimes we can get irrational, we can dig our heels in the sand. And some people can get really charged emotionally about it. And I do believe that we, um, 
people, humans, we impute a lot of our own emotions and our own value systems. So we just get so emotionally charged about this topic of debate because these cards, they're not just cards. They mean so much to us. And for some of us, we don't want these nostalgia pieces or works of art to be considered so transactional, to be an investment vehicle, because that is, it's almost like sterile, it's corporate, it's financially classified because because of the emotional attachment that we have. And then you have folks on the transactional side who are just like, you know, in a, in a way, they, they commoditize that nostalgia and they just see these cards in dollars and cents. So why do I bring all that up? Um, I think it's because chapter two for selling and trading is short. I don't even know how long this went. I'm going to have to look later. But I think it's a good approach just to not get too tied up in how to classify these cards, but just to try to figure out what emotion does this card or this group of cards or this set of cards, what does it give me? Does it make me feel good? If so, why? Does it make me feel good because it's nostalgic or because I can sell the card, make a nice profit on it, you know, maybe level up into a quote-unquote bigger and better card? You know, is that avarice? Is is, is the greed is is that what makes me feel good? Or maybe don't even ask any of those questions. I mean, these are just some thoughts. There's no one right answer. And maybe, you know, it's not binary. It's not just either or. Maybe it makes me feel good because it's nostalgia. And it's like I can maybe keep it in my collection and then, and then unload it later in a big trade or, or, or a sale. But I know that kind of like, you know, I think by now, I'm three episodes in, you may see that I love analogies. <laughs> uh, have you ever had bad fruit? So I feel like the taste of grapefruit is much sweeter and better once you've had that bad fruit. So, and that's with good and bad deals in the hobby. You really only get to truly appreciate the delicious fruit, the great deals, once you've had all the duds and you've had some bad experiences. And with people, you do get great people in the hobby and also unsavory characters in the hobby. And... With selling, um, yes, you're the one with the cards and there are people with the money, but we also know that there are unsavory characters on both ends, buying, selling, and of course with trading. Um, my hope is that you don't encounter too many of the unsavory ones, but that's I think this is part of anything you do in life. You just are going to go through adversity and it's a matter of how do you, do you learn from it? You know, Are you resilient? Do you shake it off? Do you, do you carry it with you? Is it emotional baggage? I think that's the first time I've said that word. Um, I could be wrong, but that's something we could talk about another time as well. Like the uh, the hobby baggage that we all do and will accrue. But um, what's my outro for this? Huh. One moment. All right. So this is the outro, Okay. We're talking about great people in the hobby and unsavory characters in the hobby. I got a great way to tie this all in. I'm I'm just learning on the fly here. My first podcast episode, uh, no, my first podcast guest. Yes, that's what I meant to say. I am still so surprised that he said yes and that he was my first one. Okay, some folks think he is an unsavory character in the hobby. But I do truly believe that once you get to know him, and if you really give him a fair shake and you listen to my full, uh, I don't know how many parts it's going to be, two or three, but definitely not one because it's like way too long. But that once you get to know him, or if you get to know him, if you have the opportunity, the pleasure to get to know him, that he's a real one in the hobby. Um, let me just say his name, okay? It's Dan. It's Dan Wynn, the great curator, okay? Uh, he's got that presence in the Instagram that may rub some people the wrong way, but you know, it's just, you can't go off of just someone's Instagram presence. It's like, you're almost like immediately putting them in a box and you're just like, I hate, I don't like him or I like him. Uh, uh, there are some people who are influenced into not liking influencers, which is pretty meta. It's like inception. It's like, oh, you know, you're, oh, I don't like influencers. And yet you don't even realize you're being influenced not to like influencers, right? It's just wild. So, you know, I think it's possible that some people will be turned off by me having him on but i do i do hope and again who knows with um the the day and age we live in where just everything is consumed so quickly and it's everything sound bites but i do think that he is a good person in the hobby otherwise i would not have had him you know i would not have asked him to be on the podcast you know i think that 
I've seen him go full Breaking Bad. <laughs> um, I think uh, if a lot of you may just know him from the most recent content, you know, in 2022, 2023. But I actually went back, even though I came in more recently, I went back and saw his older, his earlier content. And it was almost like, it was wild. It was like, you know, they talk about Breaking Bad. You watch uh, Walt, um, the protagonist, uh, you know, Walter White go from Mr. Chips to um, Heisenberg. You know, Walter White into Heisenberg, Mr. Chips into Scarface, right? That's that's the line. But, you know, uh, he, I have found him to be like, almost like a wrestling heel. Like he's in on the joke. He has, he has Riz. I mean, and he's definitely captivating. He's, he's definitely polarizing. But I think that if you give some folks an actual fair shake that, um, like there are some really shady and un unsavory characters in the hobby. I just don't think he's one of them. Okay, I think it's just for show. The way he he parades himself around like a wrestling heel. That's just my opinion. Okay, um, and I would just caution people that don't take everything by face value. Don't take everything so seriously. It's gonna be okay. It's just a hobby. It's for fun. But then of course you add in the money and the time and it becomes so serious. So anyway, that's my teaser for the next episode. That's also my out outro. I don't know if I'm gonna make this into a outro and intro for the next episode where I just repeat what I just said and then or copy it over so that people get a framework or understanding of what it's gonna be like. But I do wanna thank you again. I guess I do the real outro here, plug my socials and plug my email is what I wrote down here, which is Danny underscore cards on Instagram, Hobby S. Thompson on Instagram, uh, email address is dennycards23 at gmail.com, Hobby S. Thompson at gmail.com. I'm still not available on the Apple podcast. I apologize. I feel like I'm slowly becoming a Spotify exclusive, like, like they even care. Um, but I don't. I haven't real. I haven't figured out how to push this out on a RSS feed on Apple. On I actually use this podcast app called Overcast. I can't even listen to my own podcast on my own on on the uh, podcast uh, app that I use. Like that's pretty sad. But Spotify, that's where I'm at. Um, I'll figure it out. I think. I hope so. So thank you again. Thank you for listening. Like I said earlier. You can be, you could have, you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, right? You've listened to this episode, unless you've done a lot of skipping, unless you've done a lot of 2x speed. I wonder what my sound, what my voice sounds like in 2x speed or 3x speed for those of you who are truly just absolutely uh, maniacs. But thank you for listening to this episode three, uh, chapter two. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this whole card diary thing but thank you for listening the next episode should be my first guest episode with dan win the great curator thanks for listening <laughs>